in, uh, in 1982, the University of Wisconsin Badgers were playing the Michigan State Spartans in a college football game. The game took place at the Badger Stadium in Madison, Wisconsin, with a reported 60,000 fans in attendance. Michigan State was winning the football game by a large margin. Yet, the Wisconsin fans continued to erupt at odd times with shouts of joy and elation. The reporters present were confused, as were the few Michigan State fans who had managed to get tickets. How could the Wisconsin Badger fans be so joyous as their team was being soundly beaten by the Michigan State Spartans? Later, everyone Learn the rest of the story. The same day the football game was taking place, a baseball game was being played. The Milwaukee Brewers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. And Milwaukee was winning. The football fans at Badger Stadium were listening to the baseball game on portable radios. And every time the Brewers scored or kept St. Louis from scoring, the football fans erupted in cheers of joy. The Christian life is a lot like that. In this world of chaos and sadness and sorrow, it can appear that we are losing ground. But what the rest of the world cannot see is that we are on a different frequency. Our focus is elsewhere. Our focus is not so much on our circumstances, but on a person. The Lord Jesus Christ. And the final outcome for us is not in question. We know how it all ends. It ends in victory and in a roundabout way, Habakkuk has come to this same conclusion. We have made it to the end of this little book by Habakkuk, which records this conversation between God and the prophet Habakkuk. If you recall, Habakkuk was complaining to God and complaining about God regarding the people of Judah. Habakkuk didn't like what he saw in the nation, for its people... God's people, these are God's people, had become wicked and violent and corrupt. 
And as far as Habakkuk could tell, God wasn't doing anything about it. He didn't seem to care. Well, God responded to Habakkuk's complaint and explained he was aware of the behavior of his people. In fact, God had forewarned them several times through prophets about their wickedness. And yet they ignored his warnings. And unbeknownst to Habakkuk, God was raising up the dreaded Babylonians to serve as his rod of correction. That news shocked Habakkuk. Because the Babylonians were a very wicked people. More wicked than the people of Judah. And how... How could he understand how a good and holy God could use an evil people for his divine purposes? He could not get it. God is righteous. But this did not seem to be right to Habakkuk. But God assured him it was all part of his divine plan. A plan that would impact The entire known world. And in due time, the tables will be turned and the Babylonians will be judged. As we finish chapter 2, God is in his holy temple. He's in control. And he told Habakkuk to hush. Despite... Habakkuk's confusion and concern, the people of Judah will still be punished according to plan. God knew this didn't make sense to Habakkuk, but to his credit, Habakkuk knew God. And he found comfort and confidence in the character of God. Habakkuk knew he could trust God because of who God is. I mentioned last week, as we looked at chapter 3, this realization of who God is and his close encounter with God appeared to be a turning point for Habakkuk because he breaks out in prayer in the form of a song. A song that recounts the mighty works of God on behalf of his people. Last week, we looked at the first portion of this song. And this morning, we're going to look at the last four verses. So if you have your Bible, turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. And we're going to begin with verse 16. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Are you there? Okay. Oh. (laughs) Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Here we go. This is Habakkuk speaking. I heard... And my inward parts trembled. 
At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait patiently for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. I had to wrestle with this passage a bit. Because depending on how you read it, depending on your version, and considering the context of it determines what Habakkuk is actually trembling about. We know that God had told Habakkuk about the Babylonians. God is raising them up for a divine purpose to discipline the people of Judah. The Babylonians are described as an arrogant and brutal and merciless people. And there is no stopping them. They're coming. They're coming. Habakkuk knows that many people will be taken into captivity. And many others will be slain. Trouble is on the way for the people of Judah. Habakkuk knows this is really going to happen just as God said it would. It's sobering to think about. And those Thoughts of this coming invasion would leave anyone shaking in their boots. But in this case, I don't think the Babylonians are the reason for Habakkuk's trembling. We cannot forget that Habakkuk just had an amazing close encounter with God. And just like in many passages throughout the Bible, those who have had close encounters with God are left trembling and oftentimes collapsed on the ground for they cannot stand before God. Habakkuk had a brief glimpse of God's glory and holiness and power as he considered the mighty works of God in the past. He saw God in the rearview mirror, so to speak. And he's completely overwhelmed to the point that he feels his body is going to shut down. Habakkuk may be afraid of the Babylonians, and that could very well be the case. For they are a scary bunch of people. But I think he is more fearful of God. He is more fearful. He's awestruck with God. And that's why we are told Habakkuk can wait quietly for the day of distress when the Babylonians come. That phrase, wait quietly, means to rest patiently and silently. And sometimes, sometimes that's all we can do, isn't it? 
I was reminded of the, of the Red Sea experience with God's people in the book of Exodus. God led them to the place they found themselves between the sea and the charging Egyptian army. God placed them there. It was His doing that they were between the proverbial rock and a hard place. God put them there. There was nowhere to go. And God's people were in a panic. But Moses said to them, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord. Keep silent. Don't fall down in despair. Don't retreat in fear. Don't raise your fist in anger. And don't get impatient and jump into the sea before it's parted. That's a bad idea. Instead, watch and wait quietly. And let the Lord God Almighty do what He's going to do. When you don't understand what God is doing, and when it seems there is nothing you can do, maybe the best thing, and most definitely the hardest thing to do, is just to wait on the Lord to work. Habakkuk could wait quietly because he knew God. He knew God was at work. And when you know God is working in your life, you can afford to wait quietly and let Him have His way. Now as Paul Harvey used to say, now for the rest of the story. Let's look at verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom. And there be no fruit on the vines. Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls. Let's stop right there. This isn't a very rosy picture that Habakkuk is painting for us, is it? He's describing a complete meltdown. Which is a result of the Babylonian invasion that is coming. In those days, the people in that culture and society relied heavily on agriculture. And figs and grapes and grain and olives were a staple. They raised sheep and cattle. It was their livelihood. And it will all be gone. The Babylonians will take everything of value to them. And leave the land completely desolate. Judah will be wiped out and everything they rely upon, everything they hold dear will be gone. Habakkuk is facing these terrible facts. 
They will lose absolutely everything after the Babylonians are done with them. And amazingly, Habakkuk says in verse 18, Yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. This is a beautiful passage that shows us what faith looks like when nothing seems to be going right. Habakkuk acknowledges that the Babylonians were coming and he's still unnerved about it. I get it. He's human. He's imagined or he has seen a vision of the land becoming desolate, the buildings destroyed, the farms and the orchards devastated from the invasion. But in the midst of this horrible destruction, Habakkuk declares that even if everything he relied upon failed, if everything that gave stability to his life crumbled, if nothing seemed to be going right in his life, yet, and that is a big yet, he's going to focus on the God he knows. The one he has described as the God of my salvation. Sometimes we might think, if God is so great and powerful, why am I going through such a hard time? Implying that our God is only a God of the good times. Maybe Habakkuk had thought that way. But later he realized this was all wrong because the God of the Bible is just not the God of good times. And now he can say, Lord, I know you are strong. I know you are mighty. And if we are in dire circumstances, that does not change who you are. You have a good reason for what you are doing. You are in control, so I will praise you still and even rejoice in you. Was Habakkuk taking joy in his circumstances? Absolutely not. Who would? Instead, he was taking joy in the God of his salvation in the midst of his circumstances. It's about his focus. Warren Worsby explains it this way. If Habakkuk looked ahead, he saw a nation headed for destruction and that frightened him. When he looked within, he saw himself trembling with fear. And when he looked around, he saw everything in the economy to fall apart. But when he looked up by faith, he saw God. And that made all the difference. That made all the difference. It's all about Habakkuk's focus. 
sure he is aware of his circumstances. He's not blind to reality. He's facing the facts. But he can't lose sight of his God who is seated on the throne and in control when things seem out of control. Habakkuk's focus was on the God of his salvation, who is not out to destroy his people, but rather to correct them and draw them to himself like a loving father. Then Habakkuk continues in verse 19. And he says, The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like hinds feet. And makes me walk on my high places. Then it says, for the choir director on my stringed instruments. So we know this is a song. I like what Habakkuk tells us here. It's not that, pay attention, it's not that the Lord gives us strength in our hard times like a vending machine, but rather the Lord gives us Himself. And it's in Him our strength is found. Strength is found in a person. The Lord God is my strength. And when we rely on Him in our difficult circumstances, we are told He will make us sure-footed, like a deer scampering up the mountains to find safety. When we began this book, Chapter 1 was filled with questions by Habakkuk for God. These questions were driven by frustration and confusion and discouragement and disappointment about the circumstances around him. He asks, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? That's Habakkuk talking to God. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously why are you silent he's talking to God why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they in essence Habakkuk is asking the questions you and I often ask God why is this happening to me And why don't you do something? I've asked those questions a bunch of times. Why is this happening to me? And why don't you do something? 
That's what Habakkuk initially came to God with. And as we have progressed through this book, notice, please notice, that the circumstances have not changed. The people of Judah are still running amok in sin, and the Babylonians are still coming. The circumstances have not changed one bit. But Habakkuk has changed. And the questions of, why is this happening to me? And why don't you do something? No longer seems as important as the question of, who is my God? The truth of the matter is, we all have to deal with the Babylonians in our lives. In varying degrees, we all face adversity and hardships and trouble at some time or another. And when trouble comes our way and there seems to be no end in sight and things don't make sense, it's so easy to get fixated on the circumstances around us And become so consumed with the desire for answers to our questions that we lose sight of God. The God of our salvation. Who is ultimately in control of our circumstances. Now I am realistic enough to know that our questions for God of why is this happening And why don't you do something will never go away when facing adversity and hardship and trouble. Never goes away. But even so, when struggling with those questions, don't forget these questions. Who is my God? Who do I belong to? Who is always with me? Who is in control even when my life seems out of control? Who knows the number of hairs on my head? Who has engraved my name in the palm of his hand? Who loves me more than I could ever know? You see, you don't have to know everything when you find yourself in difficult circumstances. You don't need all the answers to your questions when facing the Babylonians. You just have to know who your God is. Rick Warren is the pastor of Saddleback Church in California. He's the author of the book, The Purpose Driven Life. On April the 5th, 
2013, Rick and his wife Kay experienced a horrible tragedy in their lives. When their 27-year-old son, Matthew, committed suicide after suffering for a long time with severe mental illness. In July 2014, Kay Warren put to paper what she was thinking about on what would have been Matthew's 29th birthday. And here's what Kay wrote. On July 18, 1985, I gave birth to our beloved gift of God, Matthew David Warren. Holding him in my arms that morning, I had no idea how dark the journey would get for him. And for those who love him. All I knew that bright morning was that I was madly in love with him. And could see nothing ahead but a mother's dreams of a good life for her son. I remember Easter 1985. I was sick in bed. Unable to go to church. Rick took the kids to church. And I stayed by myself for a few hours. The TV remote was by my side as my only companion. Somehow, I dropped the remote and couldn't retrieve it. So there I was, alone on one of the most joyous holidays with not even a TV preacher to keep me company. Full of anxiety and fear for myself and my unborn child. I painfully reached for my Bible, and it fell open to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep, In the pen and no cattle in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. This was a a word from the Lord to me. And I determined that even if my worst nightmares came true if my baby died or I never walked again that I would trust in God my Savior I would rejoice in the Sovereign Lord. Matthew David Warren was born and everything seemed fine. But by his first birthday we began to wonder 
by his second and third birthdays, we knew he wasn't like his older sister and brother. When he took his life, after battling and fighting so hard for decades, a friend sent me Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, in a sympathy card. She had no idea this passage was incredibly significant to me. But it was a fitting bookend to his life. Because I had feared for years that he would take his life, it became his greatest pursuit and my deepest anguish. I had come to the point in which I said, as I had 27 years before, even if my worst nightmare comes true and he takes his life, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God, my Savior. So today, his 29th birthday, through weeping, I shout it to the watching universe. I will rejoice in Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. My heart remains wounded and battered, but my faith is steady. There is and will be, as Stephen Curtis Chapman says, a glorious unfolding of all that God has in store for me and my family. God is faithful to His promises of rebuilding and restoring the ruins And I am confident that I will yet be a witness to many, many, many lives healed and hope restored. All because of my beloved gift of God, Matthew David Warren. I miss you, darling boy. But it will be just for a little while. This is a mother who lost one of the dearest people in her life. Who faces a very painful and gut-wrenching reality, probably on a daily basis. And yet, big yet, and yet, she does not lose sight of the God of her salvation and the hope he brings. What if, what if, like Habakkuk, everything you relied upon failed? What if everything that gave stability to your life was gone? What if nothing seemed to be going right for you? What if the Babylonians are barreling down towards you? 
What then? Those are tough questions, aren't they? But maybe this is a better question. A question only you can answer. If it was just you and the Lord Jesus Christ, would you be content in your circumstances? Or better yet, would he be enough? Would Jesus be enough? Only you can answer that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. It's a hard word. This is a hard book, Lord. And I can think of a million a million reasons why I can say, but Lord, but but this, and what about that? But ultimately, it just comes right back to you, doesn't it? Jesus, I hope you are enough for me. I hope you're enough. Honestly, Lord, I don't want to be in a situation where I lose everything and everyone. I don't want to be in a situation where my life crumbles around me. I don't want to, I don't want to be there. Don't even want to think about it. But Lord, if I was there, would you be enough? Even I have a hard time answering that, Lord. I would hope so. I hope I don't find out. But I hope so. But Father, help us to know you better. Help us to know who you are. Help us to know how much you love us. Help us to know how, how, how in control you are. Help us to know we can trust you. Father, may you be honored and glorified in our lives, especially in the hard times, especially in difficult times. Father, help us to not be so focused on our circumstances. I'm not minimizing the circumstances, but Father, help us to be focused on you the God of our salvation. May you be lifted up. May you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I imagine there's some here this morning who might be thinking, well, pastor, You don't walk in my shoes. 
You don't know the trouble that I've experienced. You don't You don't understand my losses. You don't understand my my health issue. You don't understand my condition. You don't you don't get it, pastor. You don't you don't understand. And my answer is you're right. I don't walk in your shoes. I can't even begin to understand. Habakkuk might. Habakkuk might. K. Warren might. They might. But I know who does. I know who does. I know who does understand. Who suffered more loss than any of us did. Who experienced more pain than any of us did. Who experienced more sorrow than anyone did. The Lord Jesus Christ. He understands. That I do know. And I want to know Him. I want to know Him. And sometimes the way we know Him is obviously through His Word, but sometimes it's through experiences as well. And sometimes those experiences are hard and they're difficult. He wants us to know Him. That's the only only way Habakkuk got through this was to know his God, the God of his salvation. As I pointed out, the circumstances did not change for Habakkuk at all. But Habakkuk changed. He remembered who he was dealing with. He is the Lord God Almighty. And we can, just like Travis said earlier, good sermon, Travis. It's like, but yeah, it boils down to when the dust finally settles, when the dust finally settles, and things don't make sense, things don't seem right, God, where are you? God, why don't you do something? The same questions that never go away, when the dust finally settles, what are we left with? I've got to trust you, Lord. It always comes back to that. I've got to trust you, Lord. And we're not going to trust someone we don't know. Right? You're not going to trust someone you don't know. I plead with you. Get to know him. He is the... He. He's not a vending machine. Give me strength today. Give me that. And he's not a vending machine. Everything is found in him. It's about knowing him. I plead with you. Get to know him in prayer. Sign up for the 24-hour prayer. But get to know him in prayer. He can actually impress your heart, even in prayer when you're talking to him. Get to know him in prayer. Get to know him in, in the word. He speaks to us through experiences. Get to know Him. He is the God of your salvation. Get to know Him. I hope this morning the 
the message spoke to you, either mine or Travis's. I know some of you are going through difficult times. Absolutely, I know that. I know my God too. Not minimizing your trouble at all. That's why Paul, Apostle Paul said, I can be content in all things because he knows the God of his salvation. I hope you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you don't, I would love to introduce you to him. Maybe you're looking for a church home. Or maybe there's just something you just need to you just need to unload to the Lord. Here he knows. <laughs> but let him know. Talk to him. Talk to him. However the Lord is responding to you this morning. However he's talking with you. Just be obedient and respond to him in kind. Thank you for being here this morning. Let me uh, pray for our offering and also pray for our fellowship uh, lunch out there. Again, just another reminder uh, to sign up for the, 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 the prayer vigil that's coming up. Yes, sir? Oh, yes. And Linda Briggs is heading to Missouri tomorrow. We pray for safety for her. I don't know why Missouri, but, you know, okay. So it could be Montana or something, but we'll be praying for you as well. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Father, that we are here gathered together. And, Lord, I pray that what was done um, was honoring to you. Lord, I pray that what was done was done in in a heart of worship. Thank you, Lord God, for being who you are. You are trustworthy. You are the God of our salvation. Lord God, we love you. Father, I thank you that in our worship we're able to give back a small portion of what you've blessed us with. Father, bless the, our tithes and our offerings and our gifts. Help us, Lord God, to, to use your money uh, wisely. Uh, Father, give us, give us wisdom and insight as we carry out your business with your money. And Lord, bless the, the giver um, uh, of, of the tithes and offerings. Lord, I also pray, Lord, for our fellowship lunch. Lord, I pray there would be sweet fellowship. Uh, we'd have a good time with one another. Bless those who brought food, who prepared food. Bless it to our bodies. And Lord, also I pray for Linda. She, uh, she leaves here and heads, uh, to Missouri. Lord, I, I pray that she, uh, uh, would have, um, a, 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 a good time there. Lord, that it would be beneficial, uh, to her and to who she visits. But Lord, I'm also praying that you bring her back. So Lord, I thank you for who you are. We can trust you. You are good. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.